Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, I'm now going to do two podcasts back-to-back only because I'm late in the week and I finished college and I don't have a high school this week, so um, they all went off to Florida vacations, you know, COVID vacations. So um, I'm going to try to take advantage of this once again. This whole week now, yesterday, uh, today's two t- talks and, and, and Sunday uh, is a uh, Raiden week, you know, the Raiden's from Florida. And uh, as I mentioned, this one particularly is not only for Zev's Bar Mitzvah, Parsha B'Shal, but particularly in honor of his in-laws, Rabbi Mrs. Baruch and uh, Sarley Rubenstein, 50th wedding anniversary. 50 years. My goodness. All right. My goodness. Now let's have 50 more. Okay. Um, very nice. It's a Devorah. Now, um, we all know this is about Devorah, who's the other prophetess. Or... Or, or, you know, what is it? I just mentioned before that the Rajbam says that a, a, a Navi or a Navia might, might just be a dynamic person, which is interesting. Now, in Chazal, they always consider him a, a, a prophetess, you know. But then again, you know, the Rajbam knows that about Miriam also. All I'm saying is, it wouldn't be out of shot to refer to Deborah as a uh, simply a powerful and dynamic personality. The reason I say it is because I always like to point to the uh, Targum Yonason. I told you I do the Aftara also with the Targum. Just a shit. And when it says about Devorah, and it's very hard to unpack the story of Devorah. I don't know if you know this. It's a question of Zenobi. Is she married? Is she not married? Some say Aisha Lapidus. Her husband's name was Lapidus. The Matsudas says that Aisha Lapidus simply means that she was dynamic. Right? So she was really something. In which case, when she talks to Barak, you know, she's Lapidus and he's Barak. That's why some learned that she was married to Barak. Uh, but anyway, we're not getting ourselves entangled in the morass of different Midrashic interpretations. What it does say is, He Yosheves Tachas Tomer Dvarak, Bein Arom Beisel, So she was sitting under a tree. Now, um, and people came for a mishpat. The Targum says she was a, what's the right word? She was like a, a, a CEO of a major corporation. She was dynamic. She lived in a place called Mar-a-Lago, or Atros Devora, <laughs> Devora Heights. Miss Parnasam Mandila, she was a Mepharnas herself. No, she didn't need nobody. She didn't need a, I didn't say she's not married, but she didn't need a husband. She's the one to make the money. For Lake Dicklin Biericho, she owed serious real estate trees and stuff in Yericho. Partisan Baromasa, she also owned Partises, you know, uh, um, what do you call it? Orchards and things like that in Rama. Zaysin of the Meshach, Babikasabishakya. She had oil wells, as they used to call it in those days, uh, or more specifically, you know, trees that gave off oil. In Bikas Beishakya, which, by the way, the Yericho 
territory, that area was renowned in the ancient Middle East for the best oil for the perfumes and junk like that. That we you know from Roman history, from Josephus and place like that. So she basically was one of these real estate sharks and she bought up all the good karka and she made a ton of money. Afar Chiva Batur Malka. She also owned a special kind of offer in Tormalka. So people went to her to be judged. It's just very interesting. Now, what is this white offer? Rashi says, uh, this is Rashi. She was loaded. Uh, and she and and this is where she made her parnosa. Uh, and here we go. And she had trauma and this and that and the other. Afar Bahar Ephraim. That was necessary. It was a kind of offer that they used for pottery, which was a major industry. And she had good karka. You know, and others I served, saw, you know, it was some kind of acid type of thing. You know, the archaeologist will tell you about that. Bottom line is, she knew how to move her on the marketplace. You understand? You know, she's one of these uh, stock market, uh, you know, geniuses. And therefore... Uh, it says, If Rashi's right, I mean, if the Targum Yonasim is right, it raises an interesting question. There is no question, of course, a famous tradition, and she was a Shofetes in the following sense. She was head of Sanhedrin, just like the others, Gift of Badar, Kishmol Badar, Devar Badar. I, it's unusual to have a woman head of the Sanhedrin. Get over it. No, it is unusual. She was. She was very special, unusual. From her, you don't take a raya. But she did it. And the usual tradition goes like this. Uh, the usual from way of understanding is we have like 10, 15 judges. Meaning shoftim. Pshat that they were shoftim is they were the head of the Sanhedrin of Klai Yisrael. Among other things. Okay? That's the meaning. Giftach Badar Kishmul Badar. A guy like Giftach was not a Talmud Chochem. The words he was an Amaretz. They say the words he was an Amaretz. Nevertheless. If he presided over Sanhedrin and he issued a ruling, okay, so same thing, when she was in charge, she was in charge. Where did she pick up her knowledge of Choshe Mishra? She did, <laughs> you know? And obviously, she was Echad Miyuchad, so therefore, it happened to be that she was the biggest Bucky and Shas in her time. I know it drives guys crazy. Tough luck. Tough luck. That's one way of understanding it. And that's why we would include her traditionally in the list of the judges. And what you have in mind when you do that is, you know, each one was a shofate in his time, like Shmuel and Nabi. Um The Gemara certainly holds that she's a, a prophetess, so she had Rucha Kodesh, more than Rucha Kodesh, Nevoah, Mamish. And that's a pretty high level. Okay, that's one way of understanding. Now I'll tell you another way of understanding, at least the way I understand it. Now, I'm not saying this is the upshot. I'm saying this is upshot. It's a possible way of understanding it. And that is as follows. She obviously was a, 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 a money market genius, a business genius. People, you know, were in awe of this. And different, they went to her for Mishpat, not as Chosh and Mishpat, but Islam is arbitration. There's nothing wrong with that in the world. Two people have an argument over money, karka, things like that. As long as they're both macabre, you know, to accept what she says, uh, it's fine. As long as we get agreement of both parties, what they call non-violent conflict resolution. And then the parsha the Pasuk fits very nicely. And as the Rashi and the Medrash said, she owned this real estate, she owned that real estate, 
She had this parnosa. She had that parnosa. So people say, that's where I'm going, <laughs> right? I'm going to go some local rabbi don't understand, you know, the way stock market works and, and give me some from answer. I'm going to somebody who understands the the world of business, right? She may not know Choshen Mishpat. She may not understand the Rambam and the Rajbab, but she understands the world of business. And she'll understand when I say we shook hands on it. We didn't shake hands. We winked. We did this, that, and the other. You know, she'll come. She will give the smartest um, answer. That's a, you know, you, you kind of gets impression. No, we'll never know. I'm just saying this would totally fit the Rajbam's interpretation of Miriam, Nevia, as, you know, Moser Ben Adam Shvach, dynamic personality. That's what I mean, dynamic personality. Now, what's also interesting is, but I can't make heads or tails of this, there are many different traditions. When you get to the story of Devorah, a lot of Midrashim, a lot of these Chazals. And you know which ones are with the Pshat, which ones are abandoning Pshat. And uh, it's just interesting that Rav, in the Gemara, Rav Shmuel, in the Medrash, says this was the time of Megillus Rus. Isn't that interesting? It's The reason is you get the impression, this is what I think, you get the impression, it's about he made sure to show him, well, Dvorah was a shofet. Yeah, but it was if she was a shofet, then it means that the guys were no good or inferior. And that would fit the story of Ali Malkin and all this other stuff. It's a famous, but he made a shoftim that, you know, was a door shoshavet a shoftov. And uh, then we would have, in one week, a parsha, you have uh, the, this National Women Week. You'd have Miriam, you have Devorah, and you have Ruth. Right? And each one is a, a, a different personality, but... They end up being, uh, you know, uh, major figures in the Jewish history. Now, what's equally interesting and unclear is the conversation that she famously has with Barak. Remember, she's Lapidus, Isha's Riza, he's Barak, the lightning. And he, she says, go and attack Sisro. Now, this is at the time of the Shofrim. This whole war should have been unnecessary. Uh, the Jews were commanded at the time of Joshua. Going to Israel, and it was in the Chumash too. Going to Israel and wipe him out, or at least get rid of him, you know, chase him out of the country. But God says, I want a situation in which uh, the whole country has only Jews. And the idea is pretty clear, I think, that, you know, if they're only Jews, then they won't go off to Derek. But it's 50 50, they'll follow the Arabs, the Kanani and Murray Prezi, and all this. They'll go off to Derek, the Kachava. And so they were supposed to come in and take over the country, but they did not. As we all know, they did 50%, maybe 60 It's not clear. You know, that's how it works. Okay, now, uh, as a result, there were significant, this is what it says in the Book of Shoftim, there were significant areas of Israel that the Jews failed to conquer. Now, mind you, they could have done it at that time, and have Yeshua been on the ball, he would have made them all do it. Uh, they were on a roll, they defeated uh, Yericho. They won a battle at Ai. They had another battle with the sun setting. You know, the sun standing still at uh, Givon. You know, Shemesh Givon Dome. They won some battles up north in Chatzor Mamash, where Yavin is. But apparently, they didn't follow through. And so, what you ended up with the situation was you know, instead of each tribe taking over the area that was assigned to it, they took over the area, uh, what's the right word? Officially, theoretically. But there were significant territories in there. They were what we call today Arab neighborhood, Canaanite neighborhoods, uh, that the Jews couldn't get into. And the problem is that as time went by, not overnight, but as time went by, 
these uh, Canaanite things uh, built up and up and up, and the Jews didn't pay attention to it. There was no king in Israel. That's how the time of Shotim is defined. There was nobody looking over the national security issue. And the Canaanite got bigger and bigger and bigger. No, they replenished until the point that they were able to create a big army and they crushed the Jews. They go to a point of saying that Sisera had 900 chariots. And, you know, I'm not going to go with the Targum over here. It goes out of hand. He says 100,000 uh, with this, 100,000 that. Okay, you know, you know what I'm talking about? You probably don't know. Why would you look at the, uh, at the Targum? Maybe Rashi quotes it. But it says that, you know, he went after it with huge uh, forces, right? With, with gigantic numbers. And uh, it's, I think it's it's in the Shira. It's in the Targum units on the Shira, okay? And uh, it's crazy numbers. So in other words, they really could have wiped out the Jews. This is it. Okay, look at this. I'm reading from the Targum units on, in the Perk Hague, uh, plus a Ches. When the Jews went off the derech and started worshiping Gavra Zorah, those things that their fathers didn't do, also in Amamaya Tradunim, then the Goyim attacked them and messed them over. Right, and then when they did shuba, things were okay, until this Gabaru was in Sisro, until Sisro, who was like Hitler, came along. Sona Umeiko, Pa'arbin Alfin Reishim Asherian, right. He had 40,000 leaders, you know, generals. The Chamshin Alphen Achidah Siphon. And 5,000 sword bearers. Shitan Alphen Achidah Romchen. 60,000 spear bear, spear holders. Shibin Alphen Achidah Tresen. And 70, I think, uh, he was shields. Tamon and Alphen, must be 4, 5, 6, and 7. Tamon and Alphen Mechatsazi Giraya, archers. Besides the, the, the chariots he had with him. You understand? And he had, in other words, say he was overwhelming forces. Overwhelming forces. So at this point, I'm sure the Jews are kicking themselves. And he said, we could have gotten rid of this problem if we would have killed them or chased them out back in time with Yeshua. This is the problem that they didn't need to have. It's roughly like a metastasize. You understand? No point doing a cancer operation. Unless you take it all out. If you leave a tiny bit and it grows back, then what's the point? So that's exactly what this represents. If they would have gotten rid of all the Canaanim, there would be no Sisra. There'd be no Yavin. But of course, we know it didn't happen, and therefore they're faced with this problem. So Devorah tells Barak, uh, uh, muster an army. God told me to tell you to muster an army and fight him, right? That's what it says. But Tishlach, but Tikrol, Barak, Aminoah, and she said, God said, now, uh, when did God say this? Well, she said, I'm a Navi, I'm telling you. Lechem Go to Hartover and take 10,000 men and fight. Right? Uh, he says something very interesting. He says, If you come, I'll go, otherwise I won't. Now, does he mean you should go and fight with me in the battle? Uh, I don't know. We don't usually understand it that way. And it's really interesting that even when Yael kills Cicero in the Targum, they go out of their way of saying, you know, time was the oldest pierce. Now she used a tent peg because she didn't want to violate the law. She shouldn't use a a, a, a sword or a knife or something. Uh, but, you know, Isha Beged Geber, that kind of thing. So is he telling Dvorah 
go fight in a war with me? Uh, and then she says something very enigmatic. She said, I'll go. You won't get any glory. Because right? in the hands of a woman, God will hand over Sisra. And she went with him. Now, this could be understood two ways. It's kind of cute. The Pashup Shah goes like this. I'll go with you, and I will be a moral presence in your army. And my presence there in, in the battlefield, even though I'm not going to fight, because I'm real from me, I won't take a knife, a sword, but my presence there in the battle will inspire the troops, and they will fight better and win. But then, since I'm the one who's going to inspire the troops, it'll be said, Devorah won the battle, even though you, Barak, will be the actual general who leads the combat. You know, you will lead the army, charging at the head of your men, but people will say, since I was there, the victory goes to me. That's one way of understanding it. Uh, or you can say, you know, different proportion. Or you can say like this, as a punishment for you not just taking my orders directly, because I'm a Navi, a Navio. So you should have said like this, yes, ma'am. If I told you, if I tell you do X, Y, and Z, do it. Right? Suppose she would have been a Hasidic Rebbe. I mean, a real Hasidic Rebbe. He would say, okay, whatever you say. But instead, he started making conditions. You know what I mean? If you go, I'll go. I won't go, I'll go. Reminds you a little bit of like Moshe Rabbeinu with the bush. So, as a punishment for your lack of faith, God will so organize matters that even though you, Baruch, will lead the combat, and you will actually really, really, really be responsible for the victory. You understand? No, you will do all the planning and everything, and you will do, and you'll be the one responsible for the victory. But God will so arrange matters that the enemy leader, Sisro, will successfully flee from the battlefield. And by the time the story's over, Yael will kill him. And so people will then say, as far as the PR is concerned, Yael won the battle. Kibiyad Hashem, Yim Kashem Sisro. Right? Uh, I'm sorry. Biyad Isha, Yim Kashem Sisro. That was a woman who defeated Sisro. That's what they'll say. Now, really, it's not true. Really, Barak defeated Sisro. Fair and square. He organized the Jewish army. He got whoever he got. He led the attack. He was a hero. He's the enemy. I want to be clear. He fought in the front lines. He was a hero. But the Velt will say, yeah, but who defeated Sisra? Yael. <laughs> right? Now, what's famous is, there's no reply. Okay? But obviously, no reply indicates that Barak was simply a practical guy. And he said, I guess, I just want to win. I don't need the uh, the historical credit. That's okay with me. There are Chazals that dispute this. And there's a Medrash and Bracious and all this. You know, they, they, they dispute this. But nevertheless, let's put it this way. He was uh, willing to play second fiddle and be in history that way. In other words, there's nothing wrong with being second fiddle to a great person. Uh, I wouldn't mind if people said, I'm a second fiddle to <laughs> To the Vilna Gong, I was his driver, something like that. I wouldn't mind that, would you? All right? You wouldn't mind that. So they'll say, I guess, Barak, he, you know, he won the battle, but he was second fiddle to her. No, okay. That was his attitude. See, he was a very practical guy. You understand? Know now, of course, they end up having the battle. We're not told how the battle played out. Uh, only, uh, it just said that they won. It says he charged from the high ground down, but you don't know what that means. 
Here we're talking about a battle in the north of Israel, which is full of, you know, uh, hills and mountain carrier, uh, you know, craters and places like that. I think they say it was fought in the Jezreel Valley, but I'm not 100% sure. And, uh, uh, but in other words, there is definitely high ground and low ground. Based on what she says in the Shir's Dvorim, I remember she says, that the stars battle against Sisra. So I think they understand from that that it was a, a rainstorm that uh, drenched his army and the, and, the, and the chariots couldn't move. Something like that. But the bottom line is, as we all know, that she, he was killed by uh, by the girl, by Yael, who's not Jewish, right? Is Yael Eshet's Chabra Kani. The Kani are, are uh, allied to the Jews. Uh, at least that's how they're portrayed over here. Okay? <clears throat> that's how they're portrayed over here. Uh, it's unclear, Pusik. It says, Chevra Kani Nifred Mikayan. Chevra Kani separated himself from Kayan. You know? What do you mean separated from Kayan? Maybe he's descended from Kayan. Well, not Cain and Abel. All right? So, who 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 is he coming over here, right? And, uh, you know, the land of saying, well, I come from Yisroh. All right. I mean, it's it's very unclear. That's what you figure, Yisrael. And uh, uh, it's and he says that this guy, Hever, was uh, in good relations with both sides. Okay. Uh, where's the public over here? Sisra Nos Miraglo. Sisra fled to uh, the, the tent of Hever. Because they were at peace. Now, he wasn't that much a piece if he killed him, but that's what happened. Now, uh, what does this mean? That uh, he's not Jewish. So the, 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 the girl who defeats him, who, who busts his head open, is uh, is it from, from the Kani, from, from Yisrael. It's a little bit like the Druze today, you know, who are allied, the, the ones that are, that are allied in Israel, you know, they serve in the Israeli army. And they are from Yisrael. Let's put it this way. I don't know what they really are, but they regard themselves as the Senate from Yisrael. So it's just, just interesting. I'm sure the Israeli army must make propaganda about this story. Uh, I mean it. And uh, anyway, so she kills him, and then you have the Shiraz Devar. Now, uh, and, and incidentally, that I want to be clear. This battle is the beginning of a war. It's not the war. Sisra uh, is dead, and then it says, On that day he was defeated, but then it says, "Vatelech Yad Bnei Yisrael Halach Vekasha Al Yavim Melch Kanan." Do you know what this means? Ada Sheichrisa Yom Melch The Jews had learned their lesson. They were in a bad mood. Uh, Sisra had killed a lot of people, tortured a lot of people. The Jews, who were suffering for years under the Sisra thing, said, "What a mistake we made leaving these guys around." And they did like a mayor Kahana over here. Once the army of Sisra was defeated, then the Jews said, I guess, we're going to wipe these guys out. We're going to kill the men, women, and the children. I mean, that, that's what it is. We're going to exterminate them. And the aftermath of the battle with Sisra is a war of extermination. This would not go over well with uh, liberalism today. Uh, because, what's the language? I just, uh, I just pulled in my book. But it says that they all continued the battle right? Isn't that right? So, it was a bloody period, okay? And I don't know how long this took. We're talking about something that took years, took a month. But 
it's a bloody business. And, uh, I don't think it only means until they wiped that Yom Melchanan. I think it means the whole, the whole business. Notice, we're going to make sure that this never happens again. There's only one way to make sure it never happens again. So, my goodness. Now, then comes the Shiraz Devorah, which is interesting. Of course, that's the reason this is a weak part of Shira, you know. Yeah, was Yosher. But I'm not interested in comparisons. Devorah is coming in an entirely different Shira. And I always like the fact that what she said then still applies today because she said, before I came along, you couldn't, you couldn't drive from Yerushalayim to Hebron uh, straight because you passed through too many Arab villages. And they would attack you. Instead, they had to build a security road. That's exactly what she says over here. Uh, look at this. Uh, at the very beginning, during this time, regular traveling ceased. I Meaning you couldn't drive straight. It's amazing. Then anybody who wanted to go on a road had to go on, on a side detour road. Roundabout roads. That's exactly the situation in Israel today. I'm not happy about that, but that's what it is. And uh, and you couldn't be Ari Prozi. Who in Israel, if you live in Shtachim especially, who's living in an un, in an open, unfortified place? They're living in these Moshavod, whatever they have, uh, Yishuvim, with a security fence, and the army's there, and the Gansath business, and even then it's not 100%, we just try the best we can. Prozum. The idea of just living in Ari Prazi open, like you do, for example, in America, uh, didn't exist. It ceased. Until I came along. So basically, how did she make it that you didn't have to worry about this uh, altogether? They wiped him out. That's how I understand it. If they went ahead and followed up the victory over Sisra with a war of extermination, then by the time that war was over, uh, you got Prozum. Is nobody coming to uh, you know do terrorism? And uh, my goodness! Now she goes on, and this is the part I find the most interesting for our purposes today, to name names. What's clear is we're talking about the period of the Shoftim, which is always characterized as and one of the classic problems that appeared in Shoftim was disunity the lack of unity. And by that I mean, not that people were disunited. I mean, you couldn't organize a national security scheme the way a regular country does. In a regular country, you have something called an army with a central government. And the shot with the army is, if there's trouble at this spot, the army goes to defend that spot. If there's trouble in another spot, the army goes to the other spot. Doesn't have to be everywhere all the time. It's impossible. But it has to be, if somebody misses any part, the whole army goes against you. So, if America's attacked in Florida, if necessary, they'll send the whole army down there. If America's attacked in California, if necessary, they'll, they'll send the whole army down there. If America's attacked on two sides, like in World War II, they'll raise a gigantic army and send half here and half there. That's what an army is. But the meaning behind that is that people from other parts of the country who are not directly threatened will join the army 
because it's in the ultimate general interest. If we repel an attack on Florida, then even though we live in Maryland, we'll be beneficiaries. Like that. Now, the problem in the time of Dvorah was that you had 12 tribes and, and Levi, and the 12 tribes occupied their own land. And if they were not under direct attack, they wouldn't go help the others. They wouldn't go help the others. Or at least they didn't have to, and some didn't. And this is always considered a weak spot. And it encourages the Goyim to attack the Jews, as we see many times in Tanakh. Like the story of Abishkil at the beginning of Shmuel Olive. And she says over there, I praise this tribe and that tribe, okay? I praise Mini Ephraim, Sharosh and Baamoyk. I praise Ephraim. They went into the battle of Amalek, you know, back in the time of Joshua. Binyamin, Acharecha Binyam, Bamanecha. Now, listen, I think those of you who are listening to the podcast, I think many of you kind of have an idea of how the tribes were dispersed in ancient Israel. And if you don't, you could Google in a second. And you'll see, obviously, the two and a half tribes on the other side of Jordan. I think you have a general idea that Yehuda's like in the south. You may not be exactly clear where all the other ones are, but take the trouble to look. And you'll see that the battle was all fought all the way up in the Galil. Uh, I believe not far from the Canary. You know where that is. So, obviously, even though she said the bark raised 10,000 men, 14,000 men, but um, it was a bigger battle than that. And they must have issued, although we're not told, we must have issued a national call to arms. We're being attacked by a huge group of Canaanites. And she must have said, listen, if they wipe us out in the north, you're coming next. So prudent self-interest should help that you should come help us. Because he had 900 chariots plus thousands of more. And so, come on and help. Now, some tribes came from far away. If you know where Ephraim and Binyamin are, she just praised those two tribes. They are not adjacent to the Galil. Ephraim is, you know, the, just north of Jerusalem. And Binyamin is Jerusalem. They're far away from the north. And they send contingents to battle. Uh, she talks about uh, Zbulun and uh, and Machir uh, helping. Well, they live up north, so naturally they're going to help. Besar Bisachar and and Yisachar is the tribe of, uh, of Barak. Good. But then, she says like this, but there are other tribes who lived far away that never came. And I condemn you and I call you out. Uh, for example, Reuben. Well, let's be fair. If you know where Reuben's located, it's like not far from Masada, across the uh, other side of the Jordan. It's Reuben Chodachatzim Menashe, right? So Reuben's kind of far away. She's saying that's not an excuse. Even if you're in Maryland, if California's attacked, you should come and help. And so she's making fun of them. She said, Befalgus Reuben Gedol Chikilev. Among the flocks of Reuben were a lot of heart searchings. Chikilev. You know, in other words, we should go to war. We shouldn't go to war. Let's have a full debate on this. As soon as you're talking like that, you're not good. Why did you hang around the uh, the farm, the sheepfolds? You liked listening to the bad man, man of the animals. You were big, uh, what's the right? You know, the questioners of heart. In other words, you're too intellectual about it. We should go, we shouldn't go. And, she, and they probably said like this. We never got around to it. We were on our way. And she says, baloney. 
And I'm condemning you throughout history because in this year that I'm writing, which will go down in history, you're going to be seen as shirkers and cowards. Gilad, Gilad, which wasn't far away from us, stayed on the other side of the Jordan. He never showed up. But Don, Loma Yogoranios. And Don, if you know where Don is, listen to this. Uh, there's Tiveria on the Canaret. Then there's the other side of the Canaret, right? Uh, which Kibbutz Engev is there. Now Israel is holding the Golan Heights. So they have that whole area. But it used to be just the other side. Uh, that other side, what we call the Golan Heights, that was done. Tell Don. So their mom is close by. And what Don did was, they said, we're on our way, and they got on ships to cross the Canaret to come to the battle, which was on the other side of the Canaret, not far away. But they never got off the boat. Lama Yogur Anios. Asher, Yashar, Asher was nearby, and he never showed up during the winter. Zvulun is a good tribe. I'm Cheris Lombus. See what she's doing? She's going tribe by tribe. Now, the one thing that really she hates, and she has become a byword in, in, in Jewish literature, is the town of Meroz. Oru Meroz. I curse forever the town of Meroz. I would not like to live in that town where you were cursed by Deborah. Oru Oru Yoshveho. Woo, boy. Right? Oh, boy. Kilobo Lezus Hashem Labagibarim. Because they didn't show up. Right? Uh, now, the way to understand this, as I do, is they're right near the battle. And uh, Mamash near the battlefield. They see the Jews fighting a desperate battle against the others. Yes, we won in the end, but nobody knew that. And they didn't join. So basically, it's like you watch, you can, it's like watching a ball game. Now, I myself had this experience. I, I must have mentioned this here. Two years ago, whatever, I was in Israel three years ago with my kids. And we had a driver who took us up north to, I think, Hartal, I think it was called, which was up against the Syrian border. This is when the civil war was raging in Syria at its peak. Maybe it was four years ago, whatever. And uh, we went up there, which is a, an army lookout base. When you get to the top, you can look out, you can see the whole area of the Golan beyond the Israeli border. I'm talking about the Kunitra, you know, the part that Israel conquered in the 67 war, but gave up back to the Syrians after the 73 war, in the Kissinger negotiations of 74. So you can almost see into nearby Syria. And I heard boom, boom, smush, push, push, push. And we look out there. There was a battle going on. I think it was Kenetra, but I could be wrong. But with some town, there was a battle going on. It's like watching a movie. I didn't see details, but I saw flashes and I heard boom, boom, shmoom. I was there with my kids. Next to me, watching the whole business, was a bunch of United Nations observers. Their job was just to observe. <laughs> right? They were observing from Israel. <laughs> the battle going among the Arabs. It was like crazy. And the world didn't intervene. I'm certainly glad I didn't live in that town. And all hell was breaking loose. Now imagine if what I was describing was a battle between Israel and the Syrians. And imagine if I was a soldier in position to help. I'm just sitting there and watching it. And, uh, you know, eating popcorn. That's outrageous. Why don't you come and help? Oru me rose. Omar mal Hashem. Oru oru yashveho. Kilo bol Ezra Hashem. Ezra Hashem So, 
the story of Devorah, the Shira of Devorah, which we saw in our passage, is a very different character than the Shira of Moshe and the Shira of Miriam that I mentioned before. So we have three songs today, three Shiras. You got Moshe, you got Miriam, and you got uh, Devorah. Uh, Moshe and Miriam, they, wish, they witnessed a, a divine miracle. Well, she kind of witnessed a sort of a divine miracle. Yeah, but not in the same way. Why did not Devorah witness the same kind of divine miracle? Because of the period and the lack of unity among the Klai Yisrael. That's how you read it. Get it? In the time of Moshe, because of the circumstances, and they were all joined in a similar fate, they were being attacked by the 600 chariots of Pharaoh. They're about to go under. So the whole Klai Yisrael had no choice but to be together. And they saw a nice nigla. Um, that's what you call splitting of the sea. In the time of Devorah, they were not united. She was not that capable to bring them all together. Uh, she curses the fact. She deplores the fact. And I'm not even saying it was her fault. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with you if you're the top person. And so they did win a battle over uh, Baruch, but it wasn't this kind of divine miracle thing where the thing split. You know, It wasn't that the ground swallowed them all up. Uh, they won a military victory. And they followed up in the proper way. But they left a certain bitter taste in the mouth. And in her song of triumph, which is a song, Achakamti Dvara, Shakamti in she is singing a song of triumph. There is the other side. And there, there, there's the disappointing side. The disappointing side is when you don't have the achdus that's required, then even when you merit a miracle and a great victory, and it was a great victory, there's a fly in the ointment. You know, there, there, there's something missing over there. And in this way, it's really a genuine and very fascinating human doctrine. With that, I wish you all a good Shabbos. And now I can breathe. Once again, I thank the Raidens for sponsoring this whole week. And uh top to all. And uh, as I said, have a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.